Can we all stand for the reading of God's word? Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This is the word of the Lord. Happy New Year, everybody. It's 2016. Wow. Um, Before I start, when I first went to Japan, I came back and told a story about meeting a man. His name was Aoki. We called him Aoki-san. And he was in the tsunami-affected area. And when he saw our team, and specifically me, he wanted to talk to me really badly. Mind you, when we were preparing to go to Japan for the first time, all these thoughts are racing in my head. I know God had put a heart for Japan in me, but what am I going to do? Don't I just look like them and not speak the language? What can I do there? And when we were doing the work, uh, cleaning up and uh, help people salvage things uh, from the flooded homes, this man, he came up to me and he started speaking. And he had waited. He was 60-something, I forgot the exact age, but he was 60-something. He had waited years and years to meet a Korean person. And he had longed to apologize to the, a Korean person, and he would tell me, oh, I fought with my father all the time because he and I disagreed. I think what we did to Korea was wrong, and I, had, and I just didn't know how to apologize. I was looking for a Korean person, and here you are. <clears throat> and God had fulfilled that longing of him asking for forgiveness by sending our team there, and that just blew me away. God, you can do anything. What I didn't share was that the person translating that conversation between me and Aoki-san was Akiko-san, and so she is the one that gave the testimony here. So it's, it's amazing how we got connected, and we got to go to Japan, and because of Rie, we got to meet Akiko, and all these things happened. 
But don't you see, when we become obedient to God, he can do amazing things, things that we could not have imagined, things that we couldn't even dream of. God can do it, and he is, as long as we're obedient. And as I was praying for our church, what we should do in 2016, uh, for the last month, as, I go in, as we go into two, 2016, um, the topic of humility really hit me hard. You know, if we're going to do all these things, if we're going to be an independent church, if we're going to have elders, or if we're going to have a session, what is the main thing that God would want us to be? And this was impressed upon my heart. We need to be humble. We need to lower ourselves. We need to be a people filled with the humility of Christ. There is a martial arts grandmaster who coined it really well that I'm going to borrow. Uh, his name is Ed Parker. But he said, A humble man makes room for progress. The proud man believes he is already there. So where are we? Do we believe that we need progress? Or do we believe that we're already there and we have nothing more to do? The theme verse of this year with the topic of humility was 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, where it says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand. Humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. And as we look into this passage, I have uh, three, three points. Number one, these are pretty obvious, but number one is do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Number two, value others above yourself. And number three, imitate Christ. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Value others above yourself and imitate Christ. Now that we are Christian, now that we see Christ, Christ calls us to be united in him. And Paul exhorts his readers, if you are united with Christ, be united with each other. That's how this chapter starts. Be united with one another by being one in spirit and mind. How do we become one in spirit and mind? By being humble. And this is what we tackled in uh, Ephesians. But how do we start the church then? Now that we know what the church is, how do we start the church? How does the Bible want God's people to start church? And it is with humility. So our first point that Paul gets into, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And at first these things may look different, but they are just two things on the same coin. Self-ambition is destructive to Christian love. Self-promotion is self-destruction. We know or we've heard the story in Genesis chapter 4 when two brothers were giving an offering and one was received and one wasn't. Rage entered Cain and the Lord went to Cain And he said, Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face 
downcast. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. But we know how the story goes, and Cain called his brother Abel over and killed him. Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? This goes down to the deepest core of who we are as people. We want to be accepted. I just need to be accepted. But what happens is that desire overcomes and grows bigger into an unhealthy extreme and it becomes selfish ambition. And selfish ambition is the sin that is crouching at your door, but God commands that we rule over it. It's so deep. And so cunning that it would hide itself even within the church. Earlier in chapter 1 in the book of Philippians, we see that the church ministers also were guilty of doing ministry with selfish ambition. Why? Because we want to be accepted. We want to be heard. And so it manifests its way in us And it appears selfless, doesn't it, sometimes? Oh, I just want to serve the church. You guys need this. I want to be service-oriented. But the truth is, when God looks at your heart, it couldn't be farther from the truth. And God looks at that, and he says, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, then you'll be accepted. Vain conceit is also from the same coin just on the other side. It is when we are overly proud and concerned about how we look. I better become this and this leader in this and this place. I better become manager soon. I better become a deacon or an elder in this church or I'll look stupid. And we have people that tell us, honey, you would do so much better than those fools up there right now. You'd be so much of a better manager than the managers we have now. If we need an elder, you'd be such a good elder. My prayer is that God chooses the humble to take on the role of elder, deacon, or any leadership position. Because selfish ambition and vain conceit destroy the unity in the church. It is contrary to what we'd like to convince ourselves of. Selfish ambition and vain conceit destroy the unity in the church. So it leads on to the next point. Paul is saying, then what do we do? We value others above ourselves. And if we are to do everything without indulging in these two very dangerous, very destructive attitudes, how do we do it? We do it by valuing the other. When you look at the person to your left, to your right, 
to the front and to the back, do you value them? That is what Paul is saying. But Paul isn't saying this. It doesn't mean that others are necessarily better than you. It's not saying, oh, you are so much better than me. You are so much greater than me. You should do this. You should do that. That actually fills in the whole vain conceit uh, attitude. And it would be contrary to what Paul is trying to teach. So he clarifies it. He continues and says that it is not looking to your own interests. So valuing others isn't looking to your own interests, but rather the interests, each of you, the interests of others. Is that how we live? We need to value others' needs above our own. And when we see that happen, you'll see ministry thrive. But it's a universal concept that God made the world in. Look at the football team. If we were to take this team and people would value others' interests and needs, what would you see? You would see team members helping each other succeed. You look at any kind of organization, workplace, but it especially works in God's church. C.S. Lewis says, what is humility then? Everybody thinks humility is just bowing your head. Oh, humble, humble, you know. I should come up here and I should oh, just keep on bowing. That is not humility. In fact, I would say the person that keeps on doing that and overdoes it is probably very proud. Reason being is that they're always drawing attention to themselves. So C.S. Lewis says true humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. True humility isn't thinking less of yourself, but it's thinking of yourself less. That means I think of you more. And the response that we would receive, that I have received a lot of times is, well, Pastor Eugene, I'm a giver. I give all the time. You don't know. I sacrifice. I poured out sweat, sometimes tears and blood. I'm a giver. I give and give and give and I never get back. Perhaps we should study the passage a little bit more. Because to value others' needs means it needs to surpass the need of myself. So what are we saying here? When I say, I'm a giver, but these guys aren't giving. What are we saying? It's saying, I am actually saying, I am so humble, but these guys aren't. Look at my humility, you guys, and bask in it. It's so ironic, isn't it? C.S. Lewis also said this on humility. He said, a man is never so proud as when striking an attitude of humility. Let's remember then, if we are to be humble, look inside yourself. And instead of saying, look, look at all these needs that I have and focusing on that, Inside yourself, do you see that you are concerned for the needs of others? And do you pour out? And don't you see that when that happens, there is a beautiful church happening, beautiful ministries where everybody's just supporting each other. And don't you see, that's what's being written here. When Michael read the verse, who being in the very nature God didn't consider equality 
with God, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. He humbled himself. So the third point, if we want to be humble, we need to imitate Christ. Imitation is key to learning, isn't it? I love music. And if you want to learn anything in music, the very basic, basic foundational principle you must understand is you must know how to imitate. And if you love let's say, a musician or a singer, you start seeing that person emulating or imitating that person. And you can see it on the stage. You can see who they enjoy. You can see what they express themselves or how they express themselves. I see in the youth group a lot because they see Pastor Esther leading worship. All these female worship leaders that are being brought up, they worship just like her. They start moving their hand, and it's like, it's like wow, there are many Pastor Esthers coming up from the youth group. And that's great because she's a fantastic, phenomenal worship leader. But if you wanted to learn how to sing like Andre Bocelli, you would listen to him, study him, and then you would try to mold your voice like his so you wouldn't sing panis, Angela, because you'd be like, panis, right? And you'd be like, whoa, yes, I'm trying to get it. And then you would sing like him. You would, you would do these things. And the Bible is saying, if you want to be humble, be humble like Christ because Christ-like humility is true humility. So imitate Christ. What has Christ done? Imitate it. Follow it. And that is the way we learn. Whether we know it or not, we're imitating somebody. Ecclesiastes says there's nothing new under the sun. You're looking at something and you're imitating it, whether you believe it or not. Children, James Baldwin writes, children have never been good at listening to their elders, but they have never failed to imitate them. Children have never been good at listening to their elders, but they have never failed to imitate them. Once we become a teacher or a parent, we can complain all we want. This child does not listen. But what they will do, and what is assured, is they will start imitating you. <clears throat> there is a story. When I was a kid, I was deathly afraid of movies, like scary movies. And I couldn't take them. And now they just kind of seem funny because it's, you know... I don't know, they're, I th- they're like kind of comedic, how people die and things like that. But um, back, because they do it kind of comedically, it's, it's outlandish. You know, no one dies of old age in a horror movie, right? It's like, oh, I'm finally 105. It's time for me to go, and everybody's scared. It's something that you don't expect. Um, so there is, when I was a kid, I used to be so scared of watching The Twilight Zone. And it would be on reruns on TV, and I couldn't take it. And I would run out of the room, and all my friends would be like, what's wrong with you? Um, but, I could, but as I grew older, I started appreciating it. There's one episode called The Mask, and it is about a wealthy um, character. His name is James Foster. And he is about to die at any moment. He lives in New Orleans, and it's time. It's the time of Mardi Gras. And so you see his family come to kind of bid him farewell. But then you start seeing the character come out of 
the family member, family members. And so he just goes to each and every single family member that's waiting for him, and he, realize, he knows they're just waiting for him to die so that they could get his inheritance. And then, so what he does is he says to his family members, he said, look, you guys are just waiting for me to die. They're like, oh, don't say that. Don't say that. It's not true. Why do you do this to us? And then he's like, no, 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 it's true. I'll give you all my fortune. It's all yours. Just wear this mask until midnight. And they're hideous masks. They're disgusting. They look really nasty. One looks like a pig. One looks like a deformed, like, human face. And it's it was with the character that they had displayed inside, he made these masks. So if this person was a glutton and greedy, he made that pig mask for him. It's like, just wear this mask, and then I'll be happy. No, this is hideous. We're not going to wear the mask. This is terrible. You can't make us do this. It's like, please just indulge us, indulge me, what James Foster would say. And at midnight, all that I have is yours, as long as you wear the mask, and you can take it off at midnight. But if you don't wear the mask, I'm not giving you a penny. Then they said, fine, because this is your wish, and we want to indulge you. We'll wear the mask. And they wear the mask. Midnight strikes. James Foster dies. And when he takes off, when they start taking off the mask, they say, finally, he's dead. Their faces formed to the mask, and they each look exactly like the mask they put on. And I thought that was profound. There's another story by, told by Frederick Buchner as well. And that is, he called it the happy hypocrite. And it's just on the same, very similar, but it's different in the sense that when there was a child growing up, he was originally deformed. And he was terribly lonely and alone. He decided to make a new life. So he found this mask that made him look beautiful. And he would wear this mask. And he found this new life. He found a wife. And this person wanted to unmask. They knew the truth. I'm going to unmask you. And he was so scared. But finally when that person unmasked him, his face had formed to the mask. And he was a beautiful, handsome man. But in the same way, Frederick Buchner is saying, when we put on Christ's mask, at first it may be uncomfortable. At first it may be like, well, this doesn't really fit well. It's a little weird, but we still try to put it on. What we are doing is we are becoming like him. We are being molded and shaped to be like him. And it may feel unnatural at first, and you may say to yourself, who am I really trying to fool? Maybe even your friends will say that. Who are you trying to fool? We know who you are. But every day, as you continue to imitate Christ, you grow to be more and more like him. There are two basic parts to chapter, uh, verses 5 and 11. And that is, number one, humiliation. Number two, exaltation. Humiliation, exaltation. And you see that humility is then tied in somehow with obedience. Jesus was obedient to death. Why would you be obedient to death, Jesus? You're stronger than death. Why would you become obedient to death? Not just any death, the most humiliating death. Death on a cross. And then you realize, oh, it's because he put my needs above his. 
And just like there is night before the day, just like Good Friday comes before Easter, just like the cross comes before the crown, humility comes before exaltation. In 2016, let's examine ourselves and let's start imitating Christ by taking up the cross daily and following him. Let's take time to pray now. What are your New Year's resolutions? And as you reflect upon that, are they resolutions that will resolve you to become more like Christ? And if not, perhaps God can instill within you new resolutions that will just inspire us to imitate him more and more, to become more like him, to challenge ourselves to walk in the footsteps he has walked in. Let's pray and lift up a prayer, uh, asking God to give us the strength that we need. Lord, help us to take the narrow path which leads to life and not the wide path which leads to death and destruction. Instead of selfish ambition and vain conceit, we want to put others above ourselves. And so, Lord, help us do this this new year and help us to be a humble church that gives you glory. In Jesus' name I pray.